Welcome back to The Leadership Project. This is your host, Charles Smith. And if you know me, you know I love reading biographies. And one of the reasons I like doing that is because it allows me and it allows you to learn from someone else's life and oftentimes to learn from someone else's painful mistakes. And and one of the reasons we want to learn from mistakes is not to glorify mistakes or sin, but we want to learn from it. We want to be warned by it. And on today's episode, you have the opportunity to listen to Darren Patrick tell his story. You know, if you know Darren Patrick, know he's an author and a teacher, and he's the founding pastor of the Journey Church in St. Louis, Missouri. And on today's episode, he's going to talk about and walk us through getting fired from the church he started, the church he planted. Man, I'll tell you, as a friend of Darren's and a fellow ministry leader in the state of Missouri, watching Darren fall from prominence was a sobering reminder for me. It was a warning to me and tons of people watching, and really anyone who aspires to lead of just some of the pitfalls of leadership. And my hope for you is that you will listen to today's episode and you'll learn from it. You'll you'll listen to Darren's pain and you'll learn from his pain and you'll listen to him reflect on success and the effects of pride and missing warning signs along the way, friends that wanted to step in and warn him and, and what the absence of accountability and friendship and spiritual fathers did to him along the way. You know, Darren recently co-founded an organization and a podcast called The Pastors Collective that's designed to strengthen and encourage ministry leaders just like us. And man, I want to encourage you, if you want to learn more about Darren's uh, new ministry, it's called The Pastors Collective. You can go to pastorscollective.com and check that out. But the podcast is going to begin here in a moment with Darren describing the process of success slowly changing how he viewed people and leadership. So we're going to jump right into that conversation. This is your host, Charles Smith. Welcome to the Leadership Project. You go from servant, man, what a gift God has given me. And and then I'm to give myself away as a gift to others to, I, I deserve this. Like you owe me, look at what I've done for you, uh, staff member. Look at, look at how I've served you know, and sacrifice. And it was a subtle shift that I ha- I think happened over years. I think, I think there were a lot of contributing factors. Many of them were spiritual factors, meaning mm-hmm. my spiritual life had waned. A lot of them were emotional factors and a lot of them were physical factors. I was, I mean, the Lord was warning me literally through my body and it falling apart in various ways long before I imploded. And so I think, I think one of the things I like to tell people is uh, your body's warning you, your emotions are warning you long before some of maybe even some of your spiritual rhythms and disciplines and practices um, um, wane, you're being warned way before that. And a lot of times we're so focused on the spiritual. And I think, you know what I mean by that, Charles, obviously everything is spiritual, but we're we're so focused on those kind of things. Like, where did I go wrong spiritually? when really the warnings have been coming for a while. You you talked about in your sermon that early on, uh, as the church began to grow and there was success, that there was a sense of, I I no longer actually existed to serve these people, but they exist to serve me. How did that happen? And did you notice that happening at the time? I definitely think I did. And my wife, 
uh, really did. And I think you justify it. I mean, you, you know, in a moment in time, and, you know, this stuff seems so big at the moment now, it just, it kind of fades to memory. But, you know, we started the church. We started Acts 29. Both of them grew rapidly. Hmm. It was it was a whole bunch of young, gifted, urban pastors who, for the most part, didn't have spiritual fathers, much less physical fathers. Most of the, the guys in that early part of that movement, hmm. in fact, were abused by their, their earthly dads. I mean, literally, I mean, it, when you go back and do the autopsy of some of that, it's like, wow, mm. man, we were kind of set up for failure. And then, you know, nothing we could do about that. That's not our fault with, uh, you know, stuff from our, da- our earthly dads. But uh, I think we repelled a lot of spiritual fathers. And I don't think there's quite frankly, uh, a lot of spiritual fathers, or at least a lot of mm. spiritual fathers who are looking to mentor young sons, they are usually trying to compete with them. And but I think I re- I repelled uh, spiritual fathers. I think we had a lot of arrogance that we knew what we were doing, mm. and <clears throat> and you know the Christian evangelical complex didn't argue because they kept inviting, hey, publish books here, hey, speak at this conference, and yeah, it's and so working. Whole, yeah, it's working, man. It's gathering people. It's making money, and yeah, I mean, it was just a recipe for disaster. I think I tweeted this, but I certainly thought it the other day that that the problem with workaholism and the problem with finding your identity and your success and performance and all that kind of stuff is that it pays. And, and eventually you will have to pay it. But at least for a time, working a lot pays off. Uh, connecting your identity to your success pays off. If your identity is connected to your church growing, and this is speaking for me personally, or your seminary growing. And people seeing you as somebody that's successful and a great leader and those sort of things, man, you'll run over your mother to not fail. How did the lack of the spiritual father and just the, the, the challenging relationship you had with your dad, how did that affect some of those early dynamics? Well, I just think, you know, you're young and you're, and you're they're, they're God's blessing what you're doing. And there, there's just a lack of, I would just say mature mentorship going, Hey, that's awesome. But pay attention to this. Like, you, you, you know, you're, you don't, don't let your, don't let your gifting outrun your character. And here's what I'm seeing. And, and mm-hmm. let me press on that. And I mean, honestly, people say, well, what's been the key to restoration for you and ongoing maturity and and it's quite simply having spiritual fathers in my life and i i i intentionally bring those men into my life they ask the hard questions we meet regularly and i just never had that you know and so i think when when you don't have that um as a young you know pastor you're you're going to get into some crazy stuff and you may not get into crazy stuff morally you may not get into crazy stuff financially, or you may, you may not, you know, even harm, you know, people that you're caring for and wound them dramatically, but you you are going to get off course in some way. And I just think that's the role of a dad. Um, he helps you, he helps correct you. And I just, I did not have that. Some of that, like I said, totally my fault. Some of it, I think, I don't know that we're doing a great job in the church specifically the reformed wing of the church producing those kind of men um, that really say, Hey, Mm. part of my role is to 
father spiritual sons and to be intentional and, and not just older not just fathers but having older brothers do that for younger brothers um, yeah. i think i think we've got a, a real opportunity to grow there what are some of the ways that that you feel like people or you even push spiritual fathers away yeah i think i think the main thing is is like oh you don't understand mm. um meaning that you know you had some of these older i, ha- I had a couple in my, these pastors who were great uh, pastors, but they, you know, they never pastored large churches. And so sometimes you go to them for advice and you get vulnerable and then they say something or like, well, just quit working so hard or quit. <laughs> and you're like, bro, like, you don't, you don't understand. understand my world. Like, so I would write off some of that good. And, and, but by the way, they had some really good advice, Sure. but I would tend to write that off because you don't understand. So I think you don't understand is a reason uh, I think another reason is is simply, I don't have time for you. I, I you know, to to kind of sit with a spiritual father, um, you know, takes a lot of time. I mean, you and I have had some similar spiritual fathers the last few years. You know that that is intentional. Like there is some intentionality. There's some sacrifice there. And man, when you're blowing and going and things are growing, who has time to sit there? Um, That's right. You know, and I, I think another one is just quite frankly, I'm smarter than I think I am. I'm, I'm smarter than you think I am. I mean, I yeah. remember like some of these uh, spiritual fathers like kind of challenged me on some, you know, character stuff or and I'm just like, I, I got this together. You don't you don't really get how 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 gifted I am. You're, you, you know, you're trying to take in this role of, hey, let me be your pastor or let me let me be a pastor to you. Let me be. You, you don't really know. I've really got it together a lot more than you think I do, which is just simply pride. Yeah. But I think all those things repelled a lot of good men in my life. Man, were there close calls and times where, man, looking back, it's been four years since then where you went, man, God was warning me. God was being merciful in that moment. And, or for one reason or the other, I, I, I balked. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, this, this was multiple people just said something like, man, you're, you're, you're just not present with us. Mm. And I think that, you know, one of the things that really uh, exacerbated this, you know, as an example was the Ferguson thing that happened in our city. Mm. Hard to describe what that was like, not living here, but it was cataclysmic, especially for our church as a, an urban church that was really uh, multi-ethnic and trying to really press into the broken parts of our city. And, you know, I was the, cha- the chaplain for the St. Louis Cardinals at that time. I was doing all, you know, I just released a book that had done really well. So I was, you know, on tour with that book, trying to encourage people. And I was just not present with our, with our elders. And, and I think mm-hmm. that, you know, and so just, I, you know, for coming from my elders, coming from uh, my wife, like you're just, you're just distracted. One of the things uh, I know that you mentioned Rich Plass, who has been a huge mentor at Crosspoint Ministries. Uh, to me, he said, Darren, as part of my homework, and this is ongoing, and you know, mm. when we get together, he asks me these questions. You yeah. keep thinking, man, Rich is getting up there in age. He's going to forget you know, what he told <laughs> me. Not, not so much. Yeah. Uh, one of the things he says is, Darren, you really need to pay attention to the, the amount of energy you are spending on creating and sustaining your image. Mm. And I was spending a lot of energy creating and sustaining my image. And it's so subtle, Charles, because I was like, man, I'm trying to like, 
influence people for the gospel. And, and I'm trying, you know, you have to have a social media presence and you have to speak at conferences and you have to like do all the, and what I realized is I'm spending so much energy on this image. Um, I, I'm, I'm losing my heart and the people around me are going, bro, you're the tin man. Like, mm. where are you? I mean, I remember that question, like, where are you? You're not here. You're here, but you're not here. Mm. That was a huge kind of a theme. And then I think another theme is just a lack of friendship. I remember, and there's reasons for this. And it's, it's church world's weird with elders, especially when you got lay elders. It's like, okay, these guys are my friends, but they can fire me. And I got this staff but, that, that are in the day to day. Then I got to catch these lay elders up on all the stuff. You pick, you know, the, the you, you know, a lot of times in, in church planting situations, you, you suggest guys go through a process. It's not like you pick them, the church affirms them, depending on your ecclesiology, and, and there's a good process. But at the end of the day, it's the guys you like, the guys you're friends with. Yeah. That you want. So, so then you started this whole thing off like, these are my buddies. Well, now I'm spending all my time catching them up on church stuff so they can be elders. Hmm. Well, we lost our relationship. And, you know, and, and part of that's like, part of that, you can say, well, you weren't vulnerable and you weren't, that's true. And also, how do you do that with guys that have young families? Yeah. And you're, it, it, it just became a deal. And I just said, I, I don't know that I can be friends with these guys. Hmm. And so I pulled back relationally because I'm like, I can't press in and be vulnerable and run this church with them. We don't have time. And, yeah. you know, if I am vulnerable at times, it gets, and, and this happens in any church situation, it gets used against you. So then yeah. you go, oh, who can I trust? But I yeah. think the lack of friendships is a huge, it was a huge warning to me and, and used to, you know, you know, some of these names, Charles, like me and Chandler, Matt Chandler, Matt Carter, J.D. Greer, like we would speak at conferences. We'd add on a day to the conference on the back end and we'd be like, hey, man, let's go in early to Nashville or whatever. Let's hang out. Let's, and we were buddies. I mean, we would share life together and stories. Well, then everybody's platform starts growing. So now people are flying in, flying out. Well, then those friendships become transactional and functional. And uh, that's what happened to me. And, and no one's to blame for that but me. Uh, but I stopped pursuing friendships. And stop, And another, another way to say it is I stopped being known. And that, that was the beginning of the end when that started happening. Having some of those experiences, do you feel like you almost wanted some of the the friendships to dry up there in the church? Like it was safer to not have those friends? Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. Um, you know, I think my tendency anyway is to to be, you know, kind of friendly but not friendy. I mean, mm. I, I wanna I wanna have the illusion that I'm relational and connected to people but not mm. really do the hard, the hard work. I'm relational enough and I'm, you know, I'm transparent enough that people go, Oh man, that guy's like, he's really got the stuff going on. But really, I, you know, I, I, that had started going away. I mean, part of the dynamic too is you know, when, when you do, when your church does start growing, you tend to out, you know, just by nature of now you, you're not connecting back home as much. Cause I had some 30 year friendships back mm. home and, I lost touch with some of those guys. The friend thing is so hard, even listening to you and having some of this experience myself, you can, you can deceive yourself and think you do have friendships. And because you're so charismatic and, and I'm more talking about you than me here, but you're so charismatic. Other people think you are friends with them. 
and you yeah. yourself think you're friends with them until it just doesn't work anymore. It seems like it comes to a crisis point and then then all of a sudden you're in a room listening to people go, man, looking back, I'm not sure that we were friends. But it's easy for a long time for both of you to be deceived. You know, you, you're probably not intentionally manipulating people. You think you are friends with them. But for the oh, sake oh, of the, yeah. the broader ministry, man, I got I can give you one you know, one thousandths of me. So I can't go deep with you. And they understand that. And you just kind of agree to be surface. And then you wake up one day and, and you're lonely and you know, the ministry's not what it used to be. And, and there's a point of crisis, but it's, it's, I think a lot of people think there's going to, a lot of people listening to this think there's going to be a moment where it's going to be so clear to me that I'm being fake. And oftentimes when that moment comes, it's way too late. Oh and my so, gosh. Yeah. It- Oh yeah, and I think I think a good thing to do would be to define what friendship is. I mean, yeah. you know, you have a friend when you love them and are loved by them. You know, you have a friend when you serve them and are served by them. Mm-hmm. When you know them and are and are known by them, and when you celebrate and are celebrated by them. Yes, and, and, and they know your hopes, dreams, and fears. And obviously, there's levels to this, but that. Um, in general, you are being loved, known, served, celebrated, and then you're doing the same. I mean, that's what a friend is. And I think that a lot of times it's easy for us to, to, to live in the world of ideas, concepts, and theology and, 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 and really not – because this is emotional stuff. Like this, yeah. this is the stuff I was unprepared for. I mean, I, you know, I'm a doctrine guy and obviously Midwestern and – you know, you know, love theology and all that. And it's so easy for me to relate to people based on, to share ideas and not share my life. Yeah. And that was, that was absolutely um, what I did. One of the people I've enjoyed kind of hearing from recently is Jordan Peterson. And I heard him the other day in one of his Facebook little clips, just talk about friendship and, and, and he isolated one that is willing to celebrate good things that happen to you. I think it's exactly what he said. And that really stood out to me as like something so simple, but it is a good litmus test for authentic friendship. And he said, you know, somebody that's not your friend, you will tell them good news, or you will be reluctant to tell them something that good that happened to you. And either they will temporarily or initially celebrate and then tell you something that better, you know, something better that happened to them three years ago, or, or even worse, something that happened to a friend of theirs three years ago. You know, I, I don't want to name drop, but you just mentioned Jordan Peterson and by God's grace, and I got to meet him mm. about a year ago and have actually two meals with him, which was ridiculously amazing. But what struck me about him was he was asking me, and I mean, he, nobody speaks to, I mean, I know he's had some health challenges, but at that time, nobody speaks to more young men and has more influence on young men. And I think for the positive, he's not a Christian. But sure. the way you, you, you know, his ministry, I mean, or it's not his ministry, but his leadership, the guy was spent the, most of the meal. I mean, he had a big tomahawk steak. That's what he eats every meal is a carnivore diet. It's crazy. The guy looks amazing, but he, he was asking me things so that he could celebrate. I think that celebration thing is, it, you know, is really, I think a key component because if you are, if you are, you won't share things if you're worried that it's going to make people envious. Yeah. You won't share things if you're afraid that you're going to be one-upped. Oh, that's great. But have you heard about this? Um, 
you're not going to share things if you feel like it's going to make people insecure. And I think that 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 issue is really relevant. Hey, I want to talk about self-awareness. It, it, it seems like in your sermon, and even if you think about the thread that's kind of run through this conversation, a lot of it is the phrase, man, I just didn't know. I didn't see it coming. It was too late. You know, there, there seems to be kind of a, a red line where we're approaching and often don't know. And I know part of your work and, and restoration and some of the work that continues really for all of us, but a lot of us just, just don't know we need to be doing that work because we lack self-awareness. So how, how, what did that process look like? Why do you think you lacked some of the self-awareness uh, and how did you go about attaining it? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I've mentioned it up front, you know, when you have power, you're going to have problems with self-awareness because people are just not going to come completely clean with you mm. that work for you. And yeah. the people that work with you and for you are the ones who see all your stuff. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's very difficult to have awareness as a leader. You know, the whole emperor doesn't know they don't have clothes on uh, yeah. syndrome, you know? So I, you know, so I just think that it's power dynamics. It's also, um, you know, when you are theological, you have categories for everything. And so yeah. when somebody comes to you and says something, you know, about you, and maybe they don't say it exactly right, or maybe they don't nuance it, your temptation with precision thinking is I'm going to pick apart that whole thing. And, and they're not, you know, it, it's not fitting in my theological framework. And that, and that happened a lot. I mean, I remember getting some questions. I'm like, oh man, you just don't, you, you're not understanding the, the totality of God's sovereignty in the situation. And don't you like, I, you know, and, da, 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 and whatever else, obviously our own pride and self-protection and, and, and selfishness uh, plays in for me, yeah. it was just sitting, sitting before those people. I mean, you mentioned the story. I'll, I'll fill in the gap. Like uh, day one meeting one, the person says, these are people I'm in the listening chair. I I'm, I'm there to not, critique, defend, nothing, listen. So person one says, these are all ex-staff, ex-elders, or current staff, current elders at the church. And a person said, hey, man, you're very relational, and I really felt drawn in by you. That's why I wanted to be in ministry with you. But I don't know, it just felt like you kind of discarded me after you didn't need me. Mm. Second person, day one. Hey, I just kind of felt used. Third person says, "Uh, I felt like a pawn. And so I get home and Amy's like, how'd it go? And I'm like, man, these people are so sensitive. I mean, <laughs> if, if this is, if this is spiritual wounding, are you kidding me? Like second person day one, they said, exactly. Hey, I kind of felt like a pawn Sec, uh, second person day two, I kind of felt used mm. third person said, yeah, I just felt like, I really felt like we were friends, but then as things went on, I really didn't feel like you cared about me. You just cared about what I did. And Charles, it was in that moment. I'm like, oh, Mm. no, Mm. I honestly did not see it. And I don't mean because I am, you know, I'm like trying to help. I'm trying to connect people. I'm trying to get people involved in ministry and release them and empower them. And and I just did not see the relational toll that I was taking on people and how, you know, people trying to keep up with all my crazy opportunity seeking, you know, stuff, what that was doing to them. Um, 
you know, Rich says it this way. He says, you need to be curious about how fast and hard you work to accomplish tasks at the expense of true intimacy because your relationships mm. are often in service of tasks. Yeah. Another way to say it is your tendency, brother, is to use people to get ministry done instead of using people, to using ministry to get people done. Yeah. And what I was doing was using people. And that's what, and, and so I think that, you know, some questions you can ask as you're looking for self-awareness is, um, you know, to ask a question and, 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 and give people different mediums, tell them they can email you, they can, they can uh, text you, give them different ways to do it. Cause not everybody wants to sit face to face, but ask this question. Uh, what do you really want to tell me that you're afraid to tell me? Mm. What, what is it in my leadership that concerns you? Yeah. Where do you feel like I am blind? Where do you feel like I'm hurting people? All those questions are, are really the questions to get to self-awareness. We simply cannot be aware by ourselves. It takes yeah. a community. And I think that those are vulnerable questions we can ask to get, get at some of that. I want to close by you just giving a few words of advice to people that are listening and thinking, man, I may be on this same path. I, I may be on the path to my own uh, listening session. And so what are a couple things that, and maybe one or six that you, you would share with people of, man, pay attention to this, begin doing these things, seek help with, like, how would you encourage people listening? Well, I think, you know, that sermon you have referenced at Southeastern uh, Seminary, you know, when, when Dr. Aiken invited me to come and, and asked me to share, you know, knowing Dr. Aiken, like I know, and like, you know, Dr. Aiken is like, what's your text? You know, what do you, I don't want you just up here telling stories. And I really appreciated that. And so I, I came from numbers chapter 20. And I think that, and that was what the basis of the lessons learned and losing my church sermon was based on the text you know, Moses um, has some unresolved emotions in that text. I mean, his sister has just died, but it's not just his sister. His sister represents his first core group, um, the first leaders that he loved and sacrificed for and equipped, and they're gone. And now the same complaints that were coming from that first generation, like the worst part, uh, the dark side of that is now being revisited in their children. And, you know, he's sad. Um, and then Psalm 106 says, says he spoke rashly in anger. So he's dealing with sadness and anger. Mm. And he's afraid. He's looking at the, what's before him. And, you know, there's fear there. How's God going to provide yeah. uh, yet again? And so, but he's not dealing with any of those emotions. He's totally um, just like bypassing. So I would just say the first thing would be, and I think this is, uh, we're, I'll say it this way. We're really good at following Jesus, the God. Um, and I'm not trying to divide the hypostatic union here, hundred percent God, hundred percent man. We're not so good at thinking about Jesus in his, in his humanity, in his humanity, Jesus encountered and moved through every single human emotion. He went through anger and sadness and fear and disgust and he, it, he went through all of those things and he didn't ignore them and he didn't avoid them. And if we're following Jesus, we should take his example. And so we should enter in and move through these God-given emotions and not avoid them. For me, I underran ran to fear and sadness 
because mm-hmm. it reminded me and of you know of my childhood. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. So yeah. I'm going to outwork fear and I'm going to absolutely ignore sadness. And mm-hmm. it's, and and then I overran to anger. So I think if you want to look at some of those primary emotions, which ones of those are you really experiencing, and which ones of those are you really avoiding? Which ones of those are your friends you're conversant with, and which ones of those are your enemies that you avoid? I think mm-hmm. starting there. And, and by the way, go back in and look at the fruit of the spirit, which is the definition of biblical maturity in, in Galatians 5. Very emotional language there. Yeah. <laughs> Love, joy, peace. Pay. Those are not, those are attitudes of the heart. We're in the realm of the emotions. In other words, our spiritual maturity is directly connected to our emotional health. Yeah. So pay attention to your emotional health. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. Do you have, have you surrounded yourself with enemies? Proverbs says an enemy is someone who doesn't rebuke us and just kisses us. Or do you actually have friends that are, that are uh, for you, believe the best about you, but wound you at times for your good? And they're surgeons. They cut mm-hmm. to heal. They're not butchers. They're not trying to harm. And then I think lastly, I think, uh, what is your, what, where are you learning from someone who is older than you and maybe even outside of your tribe. Because I think the tribalism that happens at times, what I've learned, Charles, we've talked about this, like being involved in some different tribes now, man, God's got people everywhere. Hmm. <laughs> and I, he uses people that I go, I cannot believe your theology. I, I don't even know. I mean, I believe they're Christians, but I would never do church like you. I would ne- but hmm. I'm telling you, I have learned so much from getting outside of my tribe. Yeah, uh, it's been so helpful for awareness. Mm. Um, so pay attention to your emotions, have real friends, and then learn from people outside your tribe. Specifically, if, if your tribe is not good at friendship or not good at engaging emotions, which was true for me and mine. And that's not true for everybody in our tribe. But that was true for me in our tribe. And so I would just say, man, mm. create some space, make it, make it a, an intentional process. There is no, you know, and that's why Pastor Greg and I started um, the Pastors Collective to help leaders avoid and recover from burnout. Because mm. if you if you don't have some mentors and friends around you who are who are helping you, uh, you're, you will implode one way or another. It may not be spectacular and, you know, in an article in Christianity Today like mine, but mm. you will implode and it will hurt people. And a lot of times God is warning you. And you just need some people to help you pay attention. Yeah, it seems like one of the things we're talking about is just looking for places to receive feedback. And and one of the 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 clearest ways we do that in scripture is community, right? That's one of the reasons God gives us community and people. We're we're designed for it and receive feedback through it in the pursuit of godliness and and even self-awareness. But but one of the things, man, I, I don't think people think about emotions in this light, but for me, emotions are some really helpful feedback mechanisms, especially for guys that aren't good about knowing on what's knowing what's going on in their heart and kind of where they're at. And if you start paying attention to why am I angry? Why am I sad? Why am I um, anxious? You know, those sorts of things. A lot of times they betray despite where our heads at, where our hearts at. And I, I think a lot of us men in the church are really good at saying with our mouths that, man, I, I understand that I'm one in Christ and that can't be taken from me. And I understand that I'm a son of God and, and God promises to care for me and provide for me and protect me and all, all these sorts of things. But your, your emotions betray that, man, at the most fundamental and, and 
obviously the most important level, the real level where this stuff is being lived out and believed. You actually don't believe that. And, and that's why you're afraid. And that's why you're anxious. And that's why you're scared. And that's why you're, you're mad and kicking the dog. It's because deep down, there's some sort of disconnect. And oftentimes our emotions, if we listen to them, instead of just bottle them up, them up and bury them, uh, as we so often do, especially men, they can be really helpful mechanisms to draw us into God, to, to remind us that, man, we're, we're, we're not looking to God in faith. And they're, they're little alarms. But, man, the church, just in my experience, the church is not good at that. And, and it's, Yeah, we, and I th- if I can interrupt, like, yeah, please. I, think, I, think we're, I think we're afraid that emotions are going to be the headlight. In other words, I don't want to be driven by emotions. That's right. Really, they're the, they're the warning light. Yeah. They're not the headlight. We're not using them to lead our lives, but we are trying to pay attention. And mm. I want to say one, I thought of one more thing real quick, because I, mm. I, I, I forgot this. And I think it's really important. I think the other thing to, to notice, like as a warning, is lack of joy. Mm. Um, I lack so much joy. One of our elders said to me, <clears throat> he said, you are the most successful, joy, most joyless, in other words, most successful plus joyless person that I know. Mm. And I remember he said that to me and I'm like, that's a horrible thing to say. He was exactly right. And mm. then, I mean, we go back to, you know, Hebrews chapter one in verse eight, it says, uh, Jesus was anointed with joy above all of his companions, which is another way of saying he was the most joyful human being to ever live on the face of the earth. Darren, man, this has been an incredibly helpful uh, and even personally rewarding conversation for me, man. I appreciate you making the time to come on the leadership project. Absolutely. And you know how much I love you, brother, and respect you and so grateful that you're doing this. We need more voices out there calling people to be uh, better godly leaders. So thank you for all your work. 